The official sponsor for On Education's FETC 2019 coverage is Classcraft. And in light of such awesome information, we decided we needed to enlist some backup for this ad so it was as rad as possible. And since we're all here at FETC, friend of the pod Steve Isaacs is here with us. Steve, how many Classcraft quests have you made? Glenn, my entire eighth grade course is comprised of Classcraft quests. Every activity. Steve has made, Steve has made over a million Classcraft quests and they're all amazing. If you want to try one of Steve's million quests, we have an unreal deal for you. In the history of best deals, this is number one. From now until the end of February, On Education listeners can go to classcraft.com slash oneducation and use discount code ONFETC to get $16 off a yearly premium license. But that's not all, right, Glenn? Right, Mike. You'll also get a free class pack, which includes two posters and 48 stickers for all of your students and your classroom. Free, you say? Steve, how good a deal is this? Mike, this is the best deal I've ever seen. Darn right it is. So that URL again is classcraft.com slash oneducation. Use promo code ONFETC, get $16 off their subscription price, and get the class pack for free. You can open a browser, keep listening, so get on it. Welcome to On Education's third and final FETC 2019 special episode. My name is Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will recap the FETC conference, including our conversations with Piper, Mike's session on esports with Steve Isaacs, and our treacherous journeys back home to the cold. <laughs> treacherous is right. Hey, you know what? It's funny. I was talking to someone else that was in Orlando. Uh, I happened to come across someone, and they were complaining about the weather too. So it wasn't just us wishing it was a little bit. It was a little bit warmer. Apparently, someone said it was like the worst weather it's been in Orlando in like six months or something like that. Wow, just bad timing. Yes, it wasn't too just, bad for us, but I mean, just, it was rainy and kind of. Uh, I felt bad for the people that were there for vacations. Right. Bad for Orlando. And certainly, yes, 100 percent felt bad for the people like we we heard people at at least at the place we stayed at, which was like a more like a touristy, like super resort type place. There is obviously people from all over the world where we were staying. Yes, probably were paying like a small fortune to be there. And it was pretty crummy weather most of the time. Yeah. Except for, I guess, Tuesday. Yeah. No, yeah, Tuesday was pretty nice, actually. It was especially right. in the afternoon. The sun, the sun finally came out. Right. A lot of flights got delayed heading home, though. Yes. Luckily, Our... mine did not. Did yours? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was delayed two or three hours, but uh, what was it? John Spike's flight got canceled. Mm-hmm. He didn't even, he might not even be home yet. Who knows? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and then. Back. And then I I got into a car accident. Yeah, that's crazy. So kind of got got driven off the road by, obviously, a very angry transport truck driver. Wow. So I think my car is pretty much written off. And I didn't get to bed until probably uh, 7.30 or 8 o'clock the next morning. So I was up probably for 27 or 28 hours, 26 or 27 hours. It was, you know, pretty rough. Yeah, that's crazy. But I guess, I mean, in general, I mean, I'll tell you. I, I've, I, every time I think about the accident, I, I forget about it and think about how awesome the week was. Other than that, everything was great. The accident, the car, and I mean, that'll all work itself out. 
we had a pretty rad week. Yeah, a fantastic week. Lots of amazing people that we got to connect with. And the podcast, obviously, was doing really well. So, yes, mm-hmm. fantastic week. And our table kind of ended up being like the hangout place for some people. They would just come and chill and sit. And even if we were recording, there was people that just kind of sat and worked or listened and laughed and smiled and nodded. Everyone was quiet, thankfully. Uh, and even the sound wasn't too bad at the table. So all in all, I mean, uh, it was it was pretty fun. It was pretty cool. I, hopefully we can lean into that kind of hangout table a bit at ISTE and make it more of a thing once we have a bit of better presence at a, at a table, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, that would be fantastic if they actually had locations for the podcast because it did make a big difference just to have a spot where people could go to and even if it was like ours was basically in the middle of a bunch of people the sound was still pretty dang good for having a bunch of people kind of around you uh doing their own thing a hundred percent hundred percent um so you left on tuesday yes and, and then wednesday I, t- I tell you, I wasn't expecting to be busy at all on Wednesday. Um, uh, Rami, my my coworker, was w- was with me, and we were planning on kind of walking the floor and looking at a bunch of things. I'm going to talk about one thing in a few minutes, but um, I ended up. Steve Isaacs just kind of randomly said, "Hey, do you want to get up on stage and talk with me about esports?" <laughs> and I, I was like, "Uh huh." <laughs> it kind of worked out really well. That's crazy. <laughs> It was pretty fun. I mean, we so we sat at the table and hammered out a, a Google slide for about. <laughs> I, I joked with them for about forty five minutes of prep work. I feel like we did okay. Uh, I mean, we kind of we know what we're talking about, obviously, but uh, we literally just sat at the table and and between like two and two forty five, we figured it all out, and then we went up there at three and just laid it all down. It was pretty sweet. There was, and a big decent crowd too. That's great. Yes. So esports conversation. Yeah, I mean we we talked about you know the groups and and how you can get support if you're looking to start and kind of we talked about Steve's roadmap and and how he's kind of implemented it already uh, and we talked about um, kind of the roles that people can play in an esports um, uh, ecosystem. The idea that not everyone has to be the actual video game player which is a super like that's my favorite part to talk about is that not everyone doing esports has to be playing the actual games and in fact there's tons of jobs and responsibilities if you build out a proper esports ecosystem at a school you can you can absolutely have so many different roles for people to play something that touches kind of everybody and, and kind of captures almost everybody's interest um and that's i mean that's an amazing advantage and then we talked about the challenges things that are you know difficult things that you may not even be thinking about you know it's not just hey let's go play some video games at school there's there's quite a few challenges we talked about things even as complex as bandwidth i mean and devices i mean how are you going to get 20 15 20 xboxes or 20 or 15 different PCs that can handle the games that we're playing. I mean, not yeah. every not every school PC can play Overwatch, right? No. no. And most of them can't. Most yeah. of them can't. So you you there are so many logistical questions. We don't want to scare people off, but we did want to create realistic expectations. We wanted people to understand that it's not just about 
you know, saying, hey, I want to start playing video games at school or doing esports, there there is quite a lot to think about. Um, so hopefully we helped. Um, we did share the Google slide. If you scroll through my my Twitter feed, uh, you'll probably see, uh, or even in the FETC hashtag, you, you'll see where I posted the the um, show or the slide deck. Um, uh, it's a bit.ly link. If you, if you really want to see it and you can't find it, just send me a DM on Twitter and I'll, I'll hook you up with the link. Yeah, absolutely. That's super cool opportunity and a great topic to be talking about. So what else? So we walked the floor, um, Rami and I, and we came across the only, I mean, what did you think of the, what did you think of the floor? What, I'd love to, I'd love you to share your thoughts. Did, did you have any thoughts on the floor itself? Uh, I think it was a typical <laughs> conference floor. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big fan of, you know, going and uh, doing the typical thing, which is I think a lot of teachers go to these things so that they can pick up the uh, goodies, you know, the pens the and pencils and T-shirts and bags t-shirts. and stickers and whatever else yeah. it might be, which go for it. You know, that's super awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm not a big fan of, of doing those things. The only uh, the things that I like to do are is if I need something or need to find out more information about a specific thing to bring back to our school. Uh, but it's a sales pitch. So, I mean, if you go to those things, you know that if you pick something up, you're going to, you're going to be told about a product. And, and yeah. if you have any clout at your school to be able to purchase things, you're really going to be uh, sold on the products. Cause that's, sure. that's their big thing. You know, as right. far as demonstrating those things and then uh, and then being able to connect with their customers. You seem pretty into what Nearpod is doing. Yeah. Especially yeah. the new the new stuff. Yeah, Nearpod is always a I think it's the best tool if you're going to still do direct instructions, which right. a lot of teachers still do direct instruction for the majority of the time. So it's the best tool out there to be able to Make sure that you have student voice uh, in your classes. You know, uh, you can formatively assess very easily. Uh, so it, it's, and it makes it easy on the teaching side. Plus, it gives you data right away as far as whether students understand something or not. And it can be used on pretty much anything. So I like that too. Uh, even the free version is pretty good. The paid version is even that much better. So uh, lots of good things about Nearpod. I, I enjoy them. I, uh, Remy and I have been talking about a lot of different things. Um, one of the things we've been talking about is just our office environment. Um, so it was neat to kind of go around and, um, get some ideas, uh, on, um, how a, a good, I, 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 we have this like big interest and we've talked before about like teachers and classroom spaces for working. We've yeah. talked about that a bit before. But the other side of this coin is is the collaborative working spaces for the the actual like um, for the actual teachers like like offices and staff rooms and stuff like that and and collaborative spaces. Um, so Rami and I have been talking a bit about that. So it was neat to get some really uh, interesting kind of layout ideas and furniture ideas that that may help us. Um, you know, if we decide to remodel the office, which we're talking about. Um, and that was cool. And the other cool thing I saw um, was, uh, and they're gonna, they're they're really kind of new uh, company called Piper. Now, Pytop was a sponsor of FETC. Their actual name was on the bag. 
the swag bag, and I and I have one sitting right beside me. Um, I got I got a Pi Top. So a the the Pi Top is a laptop that you and I was just showing Glenn. It's great for great for audio, guys. I'm gonna sh- I'm showing Glenn on the camera, but show Glenn on the camera that you open up the keyboard and you can see the 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 components on the inside, right? So you connect the the Raspberry Pi and all of these things together. And, and it runs on a, a Raspberry Pi operating system. I mean, pretty sweet. So Piper is kind of, I guess, geared towards um, younger kids and has this, a similar idea. So it's a, it's kind of a maker laptop, um, and it's made out of wood. Uh, it looks really cool, like super neat quality. It, it it folds up into like a really neat kind of carrying case. Um, has the same operating system, it looks like, as the Pi Top has, this Raspberry Pi operating system. And you can use Minecraft in it, which is super neat. I didn't even know... I didn't. Did you even know there was a Minecraft or Raspberry Pi? I did, only because we had a uh, Kano. Okay. I don't know if you ever have seen that. Basically, it was like one of the first kind of put it together computer systems. You plug it, you put it all right together, on. and then you connect it to a monitor, and it's its own computer uh, teaching coding. And then it had a Minecraft component to it, nice. uh, which it, it wasn't real Minecraft. It was a coding version of Minecraft. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's Minecraft for Raspberry Pi, and it's built into this OS. And what I really liked about it, I think you might get a kick out of this. You would have gotten a kick out of this. They they had a um a blueprint and it was big. It was a huge like folded out folded out. It was easily probably four feet by five or six feet big. Huge piece of paper that you folded out and it was kind of styled in like an engineering drawing. So it was blue and it had the 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 crisscross kind of grid and but it had all these drawings the how of how to assemble the the piper and it was really neat to look at like it would look really cool on your wall and i was thinking about how like a teacher especially like a computer science teacher could like have that out on the wall and it'd be really great as like a reference chart just you know how computers are made mm-hmm. it's something that even a computer science teacher i never taught my kids my students how to build a computer and it's kind of a regret to be honest i i said to the guys at piper i wish i had this five years ago because to to like show kids how to build a computer in the past you would have had to literally like bring in a case and get some components and put it all together and you had to make sure everything works and you'd have to rely on people donating things to you because just to go out and buy a computer would to build and tear apart all the time would be expensive um you know so this was really neat and i would love to have one of those big giant piper schematic charts on the wall i think it would be really cool in a computer science classroom that's a good idea yeah it was really neat it was really really neat i'll 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 post a picture of it i'm getting a piper sent to me and i'll post a a picture of it when uh when i get it so you can see how cool this uh this image was they've got a curriculum and everything so i was really impressed i mean it, it takes a decent amount to impress me and this was super impressive um really really liked um really really liked that um anything else catch your eye anything else you're thinking about after this no glad to be home i mean it's awesome <laughs> to go to these things but then it's also right. great to be back in the routine uh even if it is freezing cold here 
So when we come back, we'll be talking to Ray Hewer from Teach Better Team and Michael Cohen, the tech rabbi. We're going to be talking about his awesome new book. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are joined by Ray Hewer from Teach Better Team. Welcome. Thank you. I'm stoked to be here. So, Ray, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us your story, what you do, where you're from, all that cool stuff. Absolutely. I'm a sixth grade teacher in central Illinois. Actually, I'm a sixth grade math teacher. And in addition to that, I'm also the director of training and development for the Teach Better team, which for me is a vessel to connect with more teachers. Yeah. Um, sometimes we're working on mastering personalized learning. Uh, sometimes we're talking about tech integration. Sometimes I'm going into the teacher's rooms and we're talking about community stakeholders and bringing the community into the classrooms. But regardless of what we're doing, it's always fun to fill my schedule with great, passionate educators. Sure. And uh, I always tell people, if you can imagine the teacher that really made an impact on your life, the one that actually taught you a skill that you use and vividly now remember as a, something that was valuable that you learned, I get to train those teachers. So That's it's very fun. Very amazing. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so Teach Better team does a ton. Like you guys do a ton of stuff. A ton. <laughs> uh, and so let's do the elevator pitch on oh, what Teach man. Better team does, and then we'll dig into like more specifics. Sure. So the Teach Better team was founded by two incredible gentlemen, um, actually located in the Ohio area. Okay. And, um, it was all because one of the gentlemen, Chatterskowski, was having the worst year teaching of his life. Wow. He hated everything about the classroom and essentially was in a position that I think many educators find themselves in where Absolutely. they say either I need to leave or I need to change. And so he invented a mastery framework that allowed students to master content before moving forward. So mm-hmm. he finally was finding a way to take flipped classroom and, and everything that teachers have been trying to do and put it in a framework that allowed it to work no matter who was running it. Nice. Um, yeah. And, and then, so they decided that they were getting a lot of questions. Everyone was asking him for training and they said, maybe we should start a company. <laughs> um, long story short, they built this incredible um, professional development group for teachers. And I was hosting a Twitter chat, no kidding, a T-Lap chat. Um, and I bumped into Jeff Gargas on Twitter. And yeah. from there, we formed a partnership. And now the Teach Better team is essentially built on the pillars of helping teachers teach better, whether it be through mastery learning or community engagement. So, Man, that's awesome. So most of the listeners know that I'm a huge proponent of free resources, open ed resources, and teachers basically sharing with each other. So can you tell our listeners about everything Teach Better Team is doing when it comes to some free resources? Everything. (laughs) No, I mean, outside of the Twitter chat we do every week, outside of our podcast, we have a number of different areas on our website that we give teachers free stuff. Because the whole point is not to, you know, make a buck. Like you were saying, it's really just to share as much as possible that we can reach more students. Fantastic. Um, so we have a free uh, stuff tab. It's it's I think it's literally called free stuff. <laughs> it is. It actually. is. See, you know, we've been on the website. <laughs> yeah. And um, it has everything from you know downloading how to do a retake effectively in your classroom to badges and everything in between. And then we actually just released uh, within the past year or so Teach Better Academy. Yes. Um, that has free online courses that teachers can take for credit in their district and. Wow. Um, 
we have a, a ton on there already, and in 2019, there'll be 12 new courses that will be released this year. So it's all just trying to, you know, hearing what teachers need and getting them that support. Those resources. Yeah. Yes. Fantastic. Thanks. So you guys also offer a lot of PD, and, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of PD now. Um, so I was uh, looking up what you guys do, and I, I love, and you mentioned, um, like, community engagement and stuff. I think that's super interesting. Utilizing social media in the classroom yeah. is super interesting. I'm fascinated with, um, with classrooms that use social media. My wife does a little bit. She used to use Vine a lot, actually, oh, yeah? back in the day, uh, taking little videos of her kids. But um, anyways, talk a little bit about the PD stuff that Teach Better Team does, because I think that's super important. We talk about PD a lot on the podcast as well, so... You know, what are you guys doing there? We do professional development on anything a district needs, to be honest. Cool. However, yeah. um, so in my classroom, it's a little strange. My students operate around themed internships sponsored by local businesses to wow. learn their Wicked. content. Uh, and it's all done in a mastery framework that allows them to move at their own pace. Um, so when you break that down, that kind of comes into what we do professional development on. Um, sometimes with all together and sometimes when you break down into those pieces, we do professional development on just small components. Um, one is the grid method. It's a mastery framework that students can actually get the personalized uh, learning that they need. Um, and that's all scaffolded for the teacher and for the student. Um, and what I like about it personally, when I was dabbling with it as a teacher, was not just the development of the lesson planning that obviously is important, but then the implementation is a part of the training. So yes. it's fun to be able to get into teachers' classrooms and help them do that. Uh, the other piece is our Teach Further model, which is the community engagement, um, where we're teaching teachers how to purposefully partner with stakeholders and in the community. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's so fun. I mean, that's so important. My jam. Underrated. <laughs> yes. Well, and if you can imagine, I mean, one sixth grade student going through. 25 themed internships they're building resumes they're collecting business cards and right? we've had students experience. yeah experience we have students that have gotten their then job through the connections they made in a sixth grade math class yes. i mean it's ridiculous it's funny you mentioned that because i was literally just talking with tisha at breakfast about students finding their passions yeah. and taking any sort of path to find your passion and and every student's passion is different and yeah. so like a community engagement program lets students, like you said, 25 whatever multiple internships, lets them discover what they're into and then lean into that, right? But you don't, you, if you don't get that community engagement, you don't get that opportunity. And then you have kids that are being shoehorned into university and shoehorned into like they're doing, you know, fine arts degrees when they really wanted to be a history major or something like that. Well, and that's the whole point. You're trying to organically build in real world in a classroom. You know, yeah. you have students that are never exposed to how to give a proper handshake until they're in college. <laughs> so how can you organically embed eye contact and right? speaking in a proper tone into a math class? And the answer is, well, you can. You just have to frame it in the purpose, umbrella of purpose. So yeah. it's really fun. And I, I'm a huge proponent of not living in isolation. Our whole world is interdisciplinary. So when you can kind yeah. of bring that into your classroom, it's pretty powerful. So podcasting is pretty fun. Podcasting is fun. <laughs> uh, so you guys have your own podcast. What, what do you think? It, let's talk about the experience. So what do you think? What do you enjoy about podcasting? We know what we enjoy about podcasting. Oh, yeah? What do you like about <laughs> podcasting? 
Well, selfishly doing what I enjoy, honestly, I am a talker. Yeah, so yeah. I can sit and talk on whatever platform they need. I had an IEP growing up, and reading is just such a struggle. But if you can let me talk about it, I'm in a good position. So Jeff Gargis and I started the Teach Better Talk podcast in August, actually, pretty recent. Nice. And I uh, just wanted to see what it would be like. And now I'm... I can't believe that we're connecting with incredible educators, to be honest. I mean, yeah. it's fun to yeah. hear everybody's story. Yep. Yes. So. Awesome. Uh, Ray, this has been rad. Thanks for joining us. Uh, how can people reach out and get in touch with you guys? Sure. I'm all over. Um, at Ray Hewart on yeah. Twitter and Instagram. Facebook, we have an incredible Facebook group called Teach Better Team that any educator that's looking to dabble in anything mastery-based, anything we're working with community can join. And uh, obviously, the Teach Better team is also the handle for our Twitter and Instagram for them as well. So, plenty of good people to reach out to. There you go. Ray, Ray Hewitt, everyone. Teach Better team. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We are thrilled to be joined by second time appearance on the podcast for the tech rabbi, uh, Michael Cohen. Welcome to the show, man. Great to be here. Excited to do this live. Yeah, face right? to face. So cool. Can you tell for anyone who doesn't know you or or hasn't met up with you? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, what you do. Yeah. So I never thought I'd be an educator, and I think it's important to share that because there needs to be more opportunities for that profession to be put out there as, you know, have you considered this? You have a gift for helping others, for nurturing, for mentoring, and, you know, to consider this. So I, I started, you know, my professional, you know, career as a designer. I was doing design, marketing, brand storytelling for nonprofits. And I taught a class at Fashion Institute in Los Angeles. And the students gave just this, this very unexpected feedback, which was, you know, a s- support helped me be independent, gave me the tools that I needed to really be able to solve the design problems on my own. And the, the, the head of the department, I guess, doesn't get that kind of good feedback from <laughs> the professors, at least the ones that this was like their first two courses, you know, ever sure. teaching higher ed. And I fell in love with it. The idea yeah. that I could help and more and more and more, I entered into the realm of education to the point that I became a director of education technology for a K-8 school, Harkham Hill Hebrew Academy in uh, the Los Angeles area. And I had to really make a choice. You know, is this what I'm going to do? Is this my real calling in life? Yeah. And I kind of pushed aside the design and actually, at a certain point, abandoned it almost completely. Just focusing on, you know, building my skills as a professional educator. I got a master's degree in education and just really trying to find ways to become a, a strong educator in, in every way that I could. And then I launched this brand, The Tech Rabbi, as I started to speak here and there yeah. at different conferences. People enjoyed it. Mm. Um, but what they really enjoyed was my slide decks that were all, for the most part, hand-illustrated, you know, digitally illustrated designs with almost no bullet points oh. on the slides awesome. at all. Right and what, what resulted in that was me realizing, you know, maybe I went to art school and pursued this career in design because 
I was meant to infuse that into the world of education. So I blended the two together uh, to the point where I was able to, you know, reflect on 10 years in the world of education and, and write a book called Educated by Design. Yeah. And now we're sitting here together. <laughs> so, let's, so let's talk about the book. Awesome. And, and I actually think um, it would be great to talk about the process because uh, I have an interest in this and, and I do some writing myself. What did you feel? About, how do you feel about the process? What did you enjoy about it? What was that experience like? So it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. Uh, really, in the beginning, I wrote a lot of content. I think I had about 30,000 words put together. Wow. Okay. And I was pretty proud of it. It was, you know, this, you know, ed tech innovation. Like, this is, and, you know, I submitted it to a couple publishers. Uh, some didn't even respond okay. to me. And, uh, you know, Dave Burgess, who, you know, is now my publisher, so it's a cool story to tell, he, uh, he turned down the first manuscript. Really? He said it's really great content, but it doesn't really have you in it. You know, yeah. it could be replaced with any expert, you know, in the ed tech space. And I, I had to really sit back and, you know, practice what I preach. I talk about failure as, you know, first attempt in learning unless reflection yeah. exists. Like, I have to reflect. I have to figure out what, what's, what's right here, but what's wrong. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wrote, I bought a book about how to write a book. <laughs> That's great. Which uh, was, was a pretty funny, that was, that was uh, January 2017, so wow. two, two years ago. Okay. And I saw that there, there was a process of, of really putting together a, a vision for the book, and less about, like, write a great book. And so I followed that kind of process and it was great because I have a background in marketing. So the, you know, the sticky, the vision, like what's the mission statement of the book, you know, who's your art, your target audience, all these things were just very comfortable. But I had to articulate who is the person when I close my eyes is holding my book because I have to write it for them. And if 20 other different types of people also want to buy the book, that's great. But yeah. I, I have yeah. to be like laser focused on who that person is. So in October, he accepted the second you know, round of it. It was more about like the, the creative process. I didn't yet have a title or really know like the full vision of it. Yeah. But I started writing and I started to build out these 10 principles. And you know, some people wanted it to be the 10 commandments because I'm a rabbi, but like <laughs> there's already one set and like I'm yeah, good you know so so I did you know just 10 principles of building creative capacity um, I read uh, a book by uh, Dr. Tina Seelig who I uh, was so grateful that she uh, was one of the main endorsers of the book. She has a number of books on creativity that I recommend all the listeners read, especially What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. Okay. And in one of her books, she writes, like, who am I to write another book about creativity? And I realized, like, I can't write another book. I have to write my book. Yeah, book. yeah, yeah. And so I got through this process and I submitted, you know, in April of last year what would be, you know, the... The, the working manuscript. Yes. And I felt like this was good, you know, a good couple hundred pages deep. And it's got, you know, I, I had all this, these plans for my illustrations to be put into the book. And I then started this new journey of editors and copy editors yeah. and proofreaders. Yeah. And really people that understand how to shape a story in an incredible way. And the book, this book is still 100% me. Yeah. But it was like 
sculpted. Yeah. You know, no, yeah. In a, in a way that was was incredible. I mean, it was an incredible team. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Casey and uh, the Writers Connection. They they do a number of of books. Um, I looked her and, up right away as soon as I looked in the yeah. inside of your cover, and I was like, "Who did some of this?" I mean, even I, was, I, I share in the in the I unboxing. I wanted, you know, I'm, I'm into standing out. It's hard to blend in with, you know, the giant beard, <laughs> the, the paint splattered Kipa, like, you know. So I, I went with a square book because I didn't see so many square books out there. Austin yeah. Cleon is one of the books that, you know, his as an author, one of his books, um, you know, Steal Like an Artist really inspired me. And his book is square. So I was like, I got to look at this. Yeah. And what they, what, uh, what the editor saw was, what if we we keep the square, but we create a really great margin for people to take notes in? Yes. And I was like, that's genius. Yeah. So I, I shared in my unboxing video, like, check out this margin. Like, use this margin. For notes. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. So it was, it was a cool, you know, cool kind of thing. And then, like, even the layout. You know, I did not want to write a textbook. I did not want to write right. a book that is blocks of text from page, you know... XII all the way to you know <laughs> 200 whatever yeah so that that was a journey um, I I had to let up a lot give up a lot of creative license and because I had to do it not because they were forcing me like I had to let go even the cover all these elements are my hand-drawn elements yes. but I didn't design the layout oh. because it would not be printed right now if I was designing the layout I would still be like this this is this. Well, I'm you have never, an illustration that says it. perfection is, is the, the enemy of done yeah no. so yeah. it's it's easy to draw that yeah. illustration but to actually <laughs> let go of, of certain certain times you know right. I'm I'm, I'm I'm far from perfect. It was it was hard to do that, and even in the layout, like coming up with so ways great. of creating different, um, you know, little little graphic marks, like a line underneath a title should be like a hand drawn strike yeah. versus just a you know a, a point two you know lo- thick line that goes across line, you know. So a lot of those things, and you know, then the drawings themselves, you know, are just everything came to life but it, it was a process it was not something that just you know okay we're in a google doc and like do throw it into indesign and call it a day there was a lot of care a lot of reflection a lot of helping me you know be more concise challenging me to expand and and just organizing it in a way that had a beautiful flow awesome so, awesome. so i've yeah. highlighted the book several places but there's this quote here where you state somewhere around the age of six the current education model begins to purge students of creativity, curiosity, and wonder. And, and then you mentioned, you talk about inquiry-based learning, and it's something revolutionary where it shouldn't be revolutionary. So my question is, tell us more about like inquiry-based learning. How can we bring back creativity, curiosity, and wonder into our classrooms? Yeah, it's, I'm, gl- <laughs> I'm glad that that stood out because I, I was hoping someone would, would, would articulate it the way that, that you did. It's this idea that all innovation is driven by inquiry and curiosity and it's a person who is sitting either by themselves or they're with a group of people and they're they're trying to discover something but for whatever reason the the machine of education has created this like system where inquiry is like delivered to you without the inquiry part yes of that that curiosity so it's like search and discover research and analyze but like what about like using the energy and the engagement of of my own interest and wonder and i i think that you know like even i you know i I hear people talk about like the montessori you know method right which is all play-based inquiry-based like 
I've, I've yet to, to visit a Montessori high school. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's like, okay, we got to get these kids into college because college is the gateway to that career, to that success. And we have to do that. So you can't sit around and play and be innovative. And you're like, do whatever you want. High school where (laughs) the students are. Yeah. You know, so what what happens is, is that like it's gone. But I think that there's ways to bring it back and and bite size, you know, types of ways. So a teacher that really has a control over their curriculum, a veteran teacher. They, I think, have the luxury, and it's just time. It really is. So, young teachers, any, 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 you know, any teachers that have, you know, been in this in this profession for less than five years, keep at it. It gets easier. But once you start to see that scaffold and that workflow, then you can start to kind of risk tying a little bit more open-ended, creative type things into that curriculum, but not worry about those standards suffering. Because at the end of the day. You know, I work in a private school. I have that luxury. Many of my colleagues in the public space do not. And testing season yeah. is either around the corner or already here. Yeah. And you got you to gotta get that information. But there's still ways to do it where the, you come from the vantage point of the student. And, like, what do you wonder about in this, in this topic? And I, I was sitting once in a class observing a, a teacher. And the uh, quadratic equation, right, high school math class, and one of the students said, where, where did this formula come from? And the teacher is like, you know, I don't really know. But like right now we're just doing the quadratic formula. Yeah. And I'm like, no. And this like I'm the moment. fly on the wall. That's a missed opportunity. And it's so I, I, I'm not the type of, of administrator to observe and then speak out. I think it does a disservice to the teacher. It throws them off. It creates a weird day now. So I'm just here. I'll share later. So I sit down with the teacher and I say, I just wanted to share something really interesting. You know, we work in uh, a Jewish school. It's a Jewish high school, dual curriculum. And you should know that there was a Jewish mathematician that was in North Africa and Egypt and took the quadratic equation and brought it to Europe. Wow. So that is a teachable moment that should be interesting and intriguing and allow for something deeper to happen. Like, why is he bringing that? Like, we're bringing the quadratic equation because it's in a textbook and there's an SAT question. (laughs) Okay. He brought it for a reason of solving problems and curiosity. Like, like, what's happening? Like, how did we get from there to here? (laughs) So you can bring it with like genius hour, 20% time. There's ways to bring it where it can be totally open-ended let the students thrive and struggle or bring it intentionally into the curriculum when it works but you have to feel confident that it won't disrupt that proof of knowledge evidence of knowledge that the students are going to need to be accountable for so we've talked about this before when you were on the show before but i don't think we can talk about it enough the idea of educators as designers that We all agree that educators should absolutely see themselves as designers and lean into that even more than they are. Uh, And there's educators that don't lean into it at all. Speak to that just just a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm... It was one of the biggest breakthroughs for me where I was able to realize that I didn't have to abandon one or the other, that they, they, they work together. At the end of the day, a designer is somebody that understands people and is trying to solve some sort of problem for them, 
that that's what a designer is. And so you could have all these different branches of design. But at the end of the day, I understand people and the designers that don't, mm -hmm. they either have to be absolutely incredible yes. at problem solving and then somehow like they just succeed and, and they're, they're miserable because they have a horrible client designer relationship sure. or they just like are so good that they become like, you know, the designer of, you know, some famous logo that, you know, goes down in history, like the shell logo. Like yeah. you look at that on, on a pin and you know what it is. Yes. There's no question. Sure. Right. But at, for educators looking at ways that they can connect with the design world and see that layout classroom design lesson design, yeah. presentation design, yeah. the way in which you design the support for an individualized student. All of these things happen outside of the world of education. And I'm always about tapping out to bring it back in. And I think that once we understand the vernacular of, okay, so, so classroom design, oh, interior design, oh, there, you know, IBM has a massive design thinking laboratory that's yeah. all about how do you design corporate space yeah. and this like open office it, it failed not that's not my opinion that's yeah. like researched and now published <laughs> like business insider the open office platform that was supposed to promote collaboration yeah. has failed because there's no personal space there is no private space and it just becomes this this just you know like like washroom whirlpool of like people right so there's there's ways to connect it and i think that once we see ourselves as educators as these different micro designers and each thing because we do so much there's so it's not like oh there's a bunch of kids in the room and i'm going to deliver this information they're going to memorize they're going to take a test there's all this dynamic and the yeah. more technology advances the more that society is, is is offered new opportunities we as educators we have to evolve and we have to really look at how can we design different opportunities for for our classrooms oh, awesome. so good where can people buy the book where can people reach out to you? How can people connect with you? Awesome. Yeah. So the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and they can uh, get it there. Um, there's also, um, you know, a couple book signings here and there. I'm here at FETC, which, uh, I know you guys are really quick, but probably won't be released uh, by tomorrow afternoon. I guess I won't hold it, <laughs> it against you, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to be at ice and, uh, in Chicago in February. So I have a series. They can connect with me on my website to find those, you know, face to face opportunities. Uh, the tech rabbi everywhere.com on social media whatever platform it is even if i don't use it i've taken the tech rabbi just in case there you go. <laughs> and um yeah just really excited to connect with both of you excited to connect with your audience yeah. twitter is the best place to build those conversations ask those questions and you know just collaborate together yeah. awesome. thank you so much for doing this thanks my Mike. pleasure thank you very much michael cohen everyone